Hello and welcome to Driverless, a podcast that analyzes all things at the intersection of autonomous vehicles and law. I'm your host, Zach Adams. On today's episode, John Fesco and Todd Northman join me to discuss some recent news from last week. Specifically, we get into the situation in California on November 30th, where police were able to pull over a Tesla by driving in front of it and then gradually slowing down until it came to a stop. Then we dive into the launch of Waymo One, Waymo's ride-sharing service using only autonomous vehicles, and whether or not this means that Waymo has won the race in autonomous driving. So now that you know where we're headed, let's get rolling. And John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Zach. Great to be here. Excited for this episode. Ditto here. All right, guys. So today we're going to be talking about two two pieces of news. But uh, the first I want to get into is what happened in California with a Tesla on November 30th at 3 a.m. So 3 in the morning on November 30th, the Redwood City, California Highway Patrol stopped a Tesla Model 3. Uh, they suspected it was on autopilot based on the car going exactly 70 miles per hour and the driver seemingly being asleep. Uh, So the police, with some quick thinking, pulled in front of the car, gradually slowed down until the car was actually able to come to a stop. Um, And they were doing this while also having other cars kind of direct traffic away from them and slow other traffic down so as to not cause a problem with slowing a car down on the middle of the highway. Uh, The police department came out and said that we cannot confirm at this time if the, quote, driver assist feature, end quote, was activated. But considering the vehicle's ability to slow to a stop when the driver was asleep, it appears that the driver assist feature may have been active at this time. Safe bet. You think? Some, something was engaged, I'm guessing. Uh, and, and other reports have kind of said that, you know, it may not have been specifically Tesla autopilot. It could have been the traffic aware cruise control, which kind of manages the distance and speed based on the car in front of Tesla. But, um, you know, I'll just get kind of your first takes on this. What do you guys think about, uh, about the story? Uh, kudos to the California Highway Patrol. It is really amazing that they had the wherewithal to think through how to stop this vehicle because that's something we've seen discussed in the literature is how do you pull over an autonomous vehicle? They just wrote the guidebook. I'm going to harken back to something that we discussed a few episodes ago about opportunities to evidence the safety of autonomous vehicles, recognizing that what we're talking about here is not a full autonomous vehicle, but man, what a missed opportunity. And I say that even believing that it is amazing that you had a drunk as a skunk driver asleep behind the wheel who was kept on the road accident-free for, I think it was seven miles, that they were following him who knows how long before that he and was that's going. An important, right, that's an important distinction to make. The chase with the car, the quote chase, I don't know if you can chase someone who's asleep, but apparently you can, that was seven miles. So we don't know how long yet or you know for what period of time autopilot, traffic assist, whatever was engaged, that this guy was asleep at the wheel. So that's amazing and something to be commended, to be clear. But beyond that, if this car would have recognized that the driver was unresponsive and found a way to slow down, come to a stop with the flashers on and alert authorities, whatever, as, as it's been suggested in tweets that that's the default autopilot and that's how some of the other um, ADAS systems are programmed to work, imagine what the headline would be today and how useful this would be to the average person uh, looking at these vehicles for the first time, not just somebody who's deep into it and can see past it to say, well, that's pretty darn amazing just to stay on the road for that long without causing an accident. But 
you know, so, so I agree that it's impressive, right? And, and I think that needs to be underscored. I think a lot of people are coming out kind of attacking Tesla and saying, you know, see, this is the problem with autonomous cars and, you know, with Tesla is that they enable people to drink too much and get in their car and drive drunk. And, and I totally agree. I see it the other way where this person probably wasn't drinking because he owned a Tesla Model 3. Uh, he probably didn't drive drunk because he owns a Tesla Model 3. If anything, the Tesla Model 3 actually, you know, potentially saved, you know, several lives. Uh, but the one thing I kind of want to get into that I think you just hit was, you know, this is a missed opportunity because if, if the car had been able to recognize that he was inebriated and pulled over uh, and alerted the authorities, like, what great publicity that could have been. I'll push back a little bit and say, you know, do we want our cars tattletailing on us? I mean, in this situation, maybe yes, because you're talking about a drunk driver. But do we want a car alerting the, uh, the authorities every time I go over the speed limit? I was going to say, I'll absolutely take the side of, yes, we do want people tattletailing if there are people so drunk they can't even keep their eyes open on the road. Maybe pick a different instance to argue that point. No, I think it's fair to say that in this instance, you know, that would have been great. And I agree with that sentiment. But I'm just saying that, you know, there is a slippery slope argument there to be made where if our cars are now not only uh, doing what we want them to, but also telling people well, what we want to do is break the law. I mean, is that is that a slippery slope argument? Are we kind of worried about that? I think that this is a clear case of we don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good. I, I can't tell you where the line is to your point about it being a slippery slope of where exactly we want people to tattle and and where or not people but our cars to tattle and where we don't. But I think most people are going to agree that here you would want the car to tattle. So let's at least deal with that, and then we'll deal with the more hard cases down the line. But in the meantime, well, I think now is the time to sort of pivot though and talk about the other driver monitoring systems that are actually on the market or will soon be. So looking at the Cadillac Super Cruise and the driver monitoring there where it would observe the driver's face and make sure that the eyes are on the road, that might have given us a different result. It's hard to know precisely how that would have played out, but I think that goes to Zach's point. That is, I think, the point at which this driver monitoring becomes intrusive and you're going to have a legitimate question. I don't think we need to have a breathalyzer in the car to recognize that monitoring whether my eyes are on the road or not is the next step to reporting me to the police. And I think that's going to slow down people's willingness to adopt the super cruise system once they realize what's going on. We joked, I think, in our first episode about putting the tape over the camera on your laptop, I think we're going to see a lot more of that behavior if you've got driver monitoring going on. Yeah, and, and I think this is a good time to kind of talk about those comparisons. Do we do we want something like Cruise that is presumably more of a, uh, a safe way to autonomously drive a car? Or do we want something, you know, less invasive from a, you know, privacy standpoint? Um, you know, I remember there's this, uh, there's this great Simpsons episode, right, where, uh, you know, the car starts doing everything that Homer says. It starts recording everything. It's kind of, you know, getting into that personal sphere of, um, you know, your identity and things like that. Are we okay with that uh, moving forward? Or do we think that the safety potential, you know, like we would see from a super cruise where it would be able to know the driver's sleep, is that worth kind of the invasion of privacy that we would have? What do you guys think? I think like it or not, we, we need it. And we were talking about super cruise, but the Model 3s have an interior camera as well that is, is non-functioning, at least at present, but I think we could see other companies adopt that model. 
and the reason I say like it or not we need it first this is a real argument in favor of level two and level three need to just be outdone with or, or at least better understood that they are not autonomous driving they should be driver assisted um, technology but they are not autonomous driving and, and just to kind of underscore that because I think I think the discussion we're about to get into is one worth really having but just kind of what we're getting at is the SAE puts out these five levels of automated driving with zero being no autonomous driving features at all and five is fully autonomous there's not even a steering wheel in the car and what you're talking about is kind of this middle ground that we've already seen where there's issues kind of at level two and level three level four is kind of you know where we're going to start feeling like we have self-driving cars right there will still be or steering wheels things like that but the car will be able to handle the overwhelming majority of the driving functions and capabilities Level two and level three, as we're seeing, are really hard to define and even harder to kind of regulate. So I just kind of wanted to, you know, get that out there before we keep going. And I, the problem with level two and three, and I think it's underscored by this instance here, that the problem is not Tesla. The problem is Tesla drivers and how they're, and it's not unique to Tesla. I'm, I'm picking on, on that because that's what was involved here, but it's it's drivers who aren't understanding the limits of their system or are voluntarily choosing to ignore the limits of their system and, and pushing the cars to do something that they're not intended to do. And the problem for those car manufacturers will be, we've already seen this start to spin around and attempts to be made to put that back on the manufacturer, regardless of who's really at fault. Tesla was sued in Florida not too long ago, and there's an allegation made in the complaint Again, this is just an allegation in the complaint, but the allegation was that the Tesla sales representative told the driver that they could get from one point to the next with minimal input from the driver, and people are using that sort of statement to justify behavior like this. And I think you know something you're hitting on uh, from a legal, and we are a legal podcast, right? Something worth getting into is the legality of that, right? The problem here isn't so much what Tesla may or may not be doing. And in that instance, in Florida, is a little different because they're alleging that a sales representative stated something. Um, Tesla, as a whole, has you know said that you should keep your hands on the wheel, you should keep your eyes on the road. You know, the problem isn't what Tesla's telling their customers; their customers are doing right. And and the problem with that is is it's like anything else where people want to take it to you know the nth degree. And so you have people who are making YouTube videos with water bottles, or I've seen orange peels. They're able to trick the Tesla sensors. And so what does that mean whenever we as society then come knocking on Tesla doors saying, this is your fault for creating this technology when really it's it's the customer's fault for abusing it? Well, and Todd, I know you want to jump in here, but I want to toss in a couple of things real quick. First, that's a great approach as long as you have your organization buttoned up from start to finish. Because if your owner's manual says one thing, and even if that's backed up by what the company's website says, and if there's a user agreement, all those things... As we could see in Florida, you could still have real problems if you've got a sales representative that gets a little bit loose with that puffery during the negotiation process of what the system can do. And secondly, to your point about oranges and getting back to the problem maybe being Tesla drivers, not Tesla, there was even earlier this summer an autopilot buddy that was marketed until NHTSA put a stop to it, and it was simply a a weight that was attached by magnets around the steering wheel the sole purpose of which was to reduce, I believe they call the dings in the Tesla community nags. Um, so it was a nag reduction device. And instead of the, when they made the switch from every half an hour or whatever it was that you would get that ding to put your hand back on the wheel back to every minute, this was supposed to put a stop to that by 
by tricking the Tesla into thinking your hand was on the wheel. So as long as you've got people out there doing things like this, the, the tipping point for litigation could be at what point does a manufacturer have a responsibility to put a stop to people doing things like this? Well, and I think that sharpens the point precisely where it needs to be, which is the curious part about these accidents, because a lot of the criticism of Tesla and its system is this confusion that drivers don't understand. But every incident that we've seen reported, the Josh Brown, this DUI, those were experienced Tesla drivers. And I think that point needs to inform how we approach this driver safety and driver monitoring. These are people who are aware of how the system functions and have experience with it, and they are pushing those boundaries. But that doesn't strike me as a flaw in the Tesla system so much as the question, as you put it, John, which is level two and level three may not be appropriate technology to have out there just because of the way we as drivers operate. And Something I kind of wanted to underscore uh, to both your points, I think, is, you know, NHTSA shut down at least one of those autopilot buddy companies. And I don't know which one, you know, I don't know if it's the one you're referring to, John, or a different one, but I know that NHTSA has actually gone out of their way to shut down a company that was trying to create, um, you know, devices that would override the autopilot check-in system. And I think it's interesting, and kind of what you're saying, Todd, with this level two, level three when is NHTSA going to pivot from, you know, going after, not going after, but holding these car companies accountable to holding the drivers accountable? And and what does that look like? Uh, because right now NHTSA primarily functions, you know, to monitor, um, you know, companies, uh, different government agencies, things like that. When are they going to pivot towards watching out for, you know, driver misconduct? Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, I think their accident report actually does this, where they mentioned the the difficulty that the Tesla monitoring system presents, but put the responsibility for the accident in the lap of the drivers. I, I agree with that. The, the push and pull is going to be how defensible for any of these companies was their education uh, such that it would be fair to put the responsibility on the driver. You mentioned before that in some of these instances you're talking about experienced, quote-unquote, uh, drivers in the sense of them having experience with this particular autopilot or whatever software. But unless you can demonstrate that you properly trained that individual, I'm not going to say that you should be held liable because I, I disagree. I, I do not think that these manufacturers should be held liable in these instances, but you open yourself up to the possibility of a plaintiff's lawyer bringing litigation against you that you're going to have to deal with whether or not you can ultimately win in front of a jury at some point in the future. And let's let's quickly just kind of dive in. Let's get a little, um, we'll call it litigation nerdy on this. So what you're kind of referring to, John, is a failure to warn claim, right? You're saying that you need to provide enough warning to the customer that you know you, you didn't fail to give them warning as to what the car could do or might do. But I think we both know the push and pull with that is you also can't hand them a three-set encyclopedia and say, in you know, in every instance, here's how the car could react or might react or you know whatever, because that's really not a warning at all. Is that what you're getting at? It is, but I think it could also extend beyond that. I could see a design defect claim being made, especially where you've got some systems out there that that use. Uh, inward-facing cameras to monitor drivers. It's a feasible alternative design, and the argument could be made that 
that technology was available, being used by other people. You had a responsibility as a reasonable manufacturer to do the same thing. Again, I don't agree with any of this. I think that there are strong arguments to the contrary, especially when you're talking about level two and level three uh, vehicles where you have made clear that the driver still has an obligation to monitor the road. And we're talking about somebody in this instance who was who's literally asleep at the wheel. Willing to meet that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no question that that wasn't happening here. And even at level three, uh, where you can go eyes off, uh, you're still supposed to be mined on and ready to, to snap back in if you get that warning from the car. And Todd, you know, since you deal with more transactional work, something I'm kind of curious about is, do you think there's a way that these car companies, when they're you know selling these cars, and, and again, I'm talking about car companies that are selling these cars to individuals, not so much car companies that are creating ride-sharing services. Do you think there's a way for them to protect themselves kind of in, in the contracts, in the terms of the contract, between them and the consumer to kind of shift the liability? Or do you think this is one of those things that they can't really contract out of? Yeah, my guess is that they are going to find great limits to contracting their way around that. I'm confident that the Tesla contract is well-drafted, and I, I know because I've seen the warnings that you have to click through every time you start your Tesla and using the autopilot system that they have shifted that responsibility as far as you can contractually. The difficulty is going to be these sort of extra contractual claims, whether they be design defect claims for product liability or, and this is going to be the even more difficult one, third parties who aren't involved in that contracting process. Maybe it's passengers, maybe it's third parties, cars you run into where you're facing claims that this system is not designed in a way that is suitably, reasonably safe to operate on the roads. Yeah. And Kind of one thing I want to touch on before we move on to our next news topic of the day. Um, what do you guys think are going to be kind of the interactions between police and EMS and autonomous vehicles in the future? Because I don't know about you guys, but I think this kind of gave us a window into the future where, uh, you know, again, we talked about kind of the way this technology may have saved lives here and the way that the police quick thinking may have also saved some lives. Do we think in the future that police will have some kind of override button that will, you know, be able to slow these cars down? Because that kind of gets into, you know, again, personal freedoms and privacy? Or do we think that, you know, police departments will start training their, uh, you know, their police officers to use these maneuvers to try and slow cars down? Uh, what do you guys see as being the future of that space? Well, I mean, I think what we're seeing is the, the regulatory requirements are requiring that the manufacturers address the public safety officials and explain to them what they should do in that instance if they need to pull over a car and actually lay out how you need to interact. I believe that's the California law requirement right now. And that's why, again, I commend the California Highway Patrol and their ability to do this because it is not intuitively obvious to any of us how you'd pull over a driverless car. And I'll throw a curveball in there too. This would very much intersect with cybersecurity if you set up a system like you're talking about. Uh, in theory, if you've got a couple of guys who just knocked off a bank and are speeding down the highway, it sounds great to say that the police could just push a button and stop that car and arrest those guys. But when you think about how how certain you would have to be that that technology could not be abused and hacked by somebody else. I mean, technology may already be hackable. We'll have to, that's why there's such a concern about cybersecurity in this. But especially if you have a built-in kill switch, essentially, to the vehicle like that, um, 
I, I think we'll have to see some more questions answered on the cybersecurity front before we can go go down that road. I think you're right. And I think that this kind of gets back to the debate we were having earlier in the show whenever we were talking about uh, do we want our cars being able to tell whenever we're asleep and pull over or do we want our cars to report to the police when we're speeding or things like that? There's always going to be this tough balance, right, where we want the um, safety of knowing that, yeah, if there is a bank robbery or if there is a driver asleep at the wheel, the police can kind of make sure that car safely gets over to the side of the road and stops. But we also want the personal liberties to speed whenever we're running late to a meeting or to you know, unfortunately, send that email or that text whenever we're at stopped at an intersection. So I think that is going to be interesting to see the push and pull of that as we go forward. We'll see, too. Level four and level five vehicles, a lot of the state regulations that I've seen so far mandating, at least in the testing, that those vehicles obey traffic regulations in the area. I, I haven't seen a lot of instances where, where Ohio, inst- for instance, the executive order that was signed uh, doesn't allow for a level four or level five vehicle to say it's going to go 90 miles an hour down the highway. Uh, so there'd be no reason to pull over somebody in that instance of, of speeding. But how that shakes out, what we're allowing these vehicles to do, even when they're on a more, quote unquote, fully autonomous setting, uh, will be interesting because that's really the case. I, you know, I use the bank robber example, but obviously that's not what we should be designing these kill switches I'll call them for because that's a how often is that going to happen really not often hopefully right. not often uh the, the the real instance that you would have to uh plan for is just a routine traffic stop and how how do you deal with that right and and I you know before we transition off this I thought something that was interesting was just the different stakeholders in autonomous vehicles as they develop and their kind of reaction to this. You know, we have we have safety experts, and, and Todd is our safety expert aficionado. He's up to date on all that stuff. Uh, so, you know, you have your safety experts that come out and kind of are trying to break apart what this means. We have people that have financial interests in these companies that are trying to, you know, put the positive spin like we were talking about of, you know, we want these cars to take care of our drivers and to, you know, make sure there aren't more accidents than there already are. And then you've got, you know, the general cynics who, you know, they'll never get an autonomous vehicle because they have the right to drive, as underscored by V3.0. Uh, which which kind of group of people did you think had the most interesting take on this? I really think this builds the case very nicely for the safety critics who just really underscore, and I don't want to go too deep into the safety, but Missy Cummings, who's a professor at Duke and is the head of their um, human and autonomous lab, and she former fighter pilot from the 1990s, but she goes in and really helps illustrate the difficulty that this level two, level three driving environment puts the driver in. The truth is we get bored when they're not given enough of a role in these instances. So that's where I think this is an interesting case to discuss because the drunk driver is the slam dunk. That's easy. The harder case is going to be you and I commuting to and from work where we get bored and aren't monitoring and then we need to jump in and we'll have to do a future episode on this because i think that's the really difficult case here so i, I agree i was really interested by kind of what the what the safety experts were saying about this from both sides and for me though i, I was i thought it was really interesting to see what 
different people with different financial incentives had to say about this, as is with most things. But you had people with other car companies slamming Tesla and saying, this is the problem with autopilot. You know, they don't have a, a monitoring system. They routinely let their consumers get away with, you know, less than ideal driving behind these cars. But then, you know, you had people in industries that are making the parts for Tesla come out and say, no, this this is actually you know, this is saving lives. And I, I just think it's one of those things where I would caution the other car companies who are slamming Tesla um, from getting, going too far down that road. Because at some level, all of autonomous driving is going to have similar situations like this where it's able to be engaged or manipulated. And while it may not be your company today, it could very well be your company tomorrow. Actually, I love the way you put that, Zach, because in the aviation industry, there is a philosophy that anyone's accident is all of our accidents, and it's that culture of safety that we need to see in the automotive industry, and which, frankly, it has shown to date fairly well. Most people sort of banding together, but you're right, we started to see at the edges some of the other automotive industry players picking at Tesla, and I think that's inappropriate. There's no question that they have made safety choices that aren't as conservative, say, as Waymo, which I think we're going to discuss in a minute, but fundamentally the choices they're making are design decisions that they can support for a reason. I think that's right. But, you know, real quick, I want to touch on something else before we get out of here. And that is uh, the launch of Waymo One. And so, um, you know, on December 5th, uh, Waymo, you know, Google's self-driving car subsidiary, uh, they launched Waymo One, which is their ride sharing service. And they launched exclusively in Arizona with a very, very small, very limited rider base. Uh, I think it was actually smaller than even their beta testers. So, you know, it's it works similar to the other ride sharing services we see with like Lyft and Uber, you know, works on an app in your smartphone, you get in to their Chrysler Pacificas that are outfitted with all the technology that makes them autonomous. They're still a safety driver. Uh, and I actually read an article that I thought was interesting. Originally, a safety driver was supposed to be in the passenger seat to underscore how, um, you know, well the technology has been adopted and how great it is. But people actually got more nervous by having someone in the passenger seat because it almost seemed like we have to have anyone in here at all, shouldn't they be in the driver's seat? So Google then moved them back to the driver's seat. Um, but so far, it seems to be going really well. And uh, and I guess my question is, does this mean that Waymo won the race in autonomous driving? I think it's still a little too soon to say. Um, you know, clearly puts them in the front, and congratulations to them on, on this achievement. But I could probably think of a whole lot of instances where first to take a leap like this doesn't necessarily mean that 10 years from now uh, you're, you're going to be the winner in, in the long term. Um, but, but certainly they've been at the forefront for a long time and a lot of different metrics. And, and this is just another, uh, another instance of them staying in front. So congratulations to them. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. They've driven the most miles. They've done the most simulated miles. They are in front with Tesla following them fairly closely. But in terms of winning, I think what they've won most is this is the safest way to implement. And when I saw, as you were describing, Zach, that they put that safety driver in the front seat behind the wheel, what great publicity to just signal that we're doing everything possible to have this be as safe as 
plausible. And so there are some terrific videos, and we'll link to them in the show notes, where people are writing, and for the most part, they've cut them short because of how boring the ride is. This system is performing so well that there's nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah, and I think I think that's right, Ted. I think uh, one of the things that uh, one of the reviews I was reading kind of cracked me up was whenever the car slowed down, the person was kind of excited, like, ooh, something's about to go wrong. Here, the car had actually sensed that another car was a little over the line of a stop sign and was redirecting itself to switch lanes so as to not cause even like a chance of a collision, uh, which, which I think is hilarious because the person's takeaway was, I would have missed that. And I think that kind of harkens back to other arguments we've had in the past where, you know, one of the hard things for society in general to get over as we adopt autonomous vehicles is accidents where it's, I wouldn't have caused that. But I think what this is going to start showing us is, uh, I would have gotten that accident. I might have, you know, I might have created a dangerous situation that this car avoided. Uh, So I thought that was really interesting. Um, What do you guys think the other AV companies do to try and catch up with Waymo? I think they're going to keep doing what they've been doing, and soon we're going to see crews implement their driver system. This may have ramped up the pressure on folks to deploy in 2019. Uh, we're certainly seeing this signaled in both the UK, I believe it's in London, but there is a UK company that is going to start deploying in 2019. China has started issuing licenses, but that's you know, really what I would see, and I'd not sure we've gotten into this, but the Argo um, unit of Ford has started test driving in DC. I just saw a terrific article about how well their Miami test rides are going. So they're just going to keep doing more of the same and we're going to keep building intelligence. I don't think self-driving cars are that far away. Yes. And in in addition, I I think that we'll probably see people plug along at the pace that they're capable of plugging along. If the last year taught us anything um, in the AV context after the the accident in Tempe, this is not an industry where you want to rush to deploy if if you're not ready for whatever reason. Um, And you'll be much better in the long run trying to get your product out there when it's ready to be put out there than try and or you'd be second to market or whatever the case may be. And it's really interesting to see that, you know, Waymo's being met with fanfare, even though a few months ago we saw kind of this overwhelming, you know, people tightening their shoulders and worrying, hey, you know, maybe AVs aren't really the way to go. They're not the way of the future. And I think this is just in direct opposition of that in the same location. It really just kind of underscores what a win this was for Waymo. Um, so, you know, with that said, I think uh, I think that's all we got today. Uh, Thanks for listening and subscribe ever.